back in the 1950s, 60s, and probably into the 1970s, a teenage Nahui at the Awe Kotsuku was one of Rotorua's first meter maids. That is, she was a young Māori woman in traditional, well, performing dress of a pew-pew and a pare, a barefooted dusky maiden, policing the parking meters in the Rotorua business district. Now, we don't have those anymore. Now, Hawaii has their version, a coconut bikini-wearing, lay-around-the-neck, grass-skirt, ukulele-playing, wahine, Europeanized, half-naked native. An image and a reality many native Hawaiians reject and resist. The militarization of their country is also something native Hawaiians resist and was the impetus for a documentary completed by Ankeella Kelly in 2008, Noho Hewa, The Wrongful Occupation of Hawaii. In 1893, when the occupation began in Hawaii, we didn't, it wasn't a rebellion of Hawaiian citizens. It was occupation of the U.S. military forces that came in 1893, which continue to occupy land to this day. That's the history. And Kayala Kelly, you're the director of Noho Heva, the wrongful occupation of Hawaii, the feature film, around about 80 minutes in length. Now, this isn't your first visit to Aotearoa. You had a, um, well, I'd say, a experience of pretty typical New Zealand experience, actually, of a road trip. <laughs> well, aloha and <laughs> mahalo nui for having me on your show. It's an honor. And yes, I was here almost five years ago. Uh, Merata Mita uh, included me in a two-week journey across your country to show Nohoheva. It was right when I was finishing it for real. And it was a wonderful opportunity to come here and spend some time with some Maori people. And it was it was funny coming back this time because on that trip, I was with a bunch of Maori people and uh, another Hawaiian person and a Navajo guy. And we were, you know, I was riding shotgun across Aotearoa with Merata Mita. <laughs> and all we did was talk story about films, uh, being native filmmakers the politics of film. It was beautiful and seeing this beautiful country and it was, my introduction to this country was through Maori eyes and in the Maori community. And so here I am, I came to Auckland and it wasn't through, wasn't a bunch of Maori people waiting to meet me at the airport. You know, I got in a taxi and went to the hotel and I realized, <laughs> I realized, wow, there's a street and it's called Cornwall. And yeah. I just, after about 10 minutes, I said to the, cab driver I said wow it's very colonial here and that I mean I know that intellectually but it was just starkly different from your first experience from my first yeah. experience because my first experience was, was just full-blown from front to back indigenous it would have been laughing food you would have been having poor here to get every place that you went to it was I gained weight <laughs> you know it was just food eating and talking and it was it was a an incredible journey this has been a great trip too but it was very different very different. Tourism, no tourism, those are material forces. I mean, change the way people who are native endure or don't endure. All my life, they wanted me to bear them. 
not doing it no more for who I am and for who my ancestors are. of granting Hawaiians the rights of American Indians. Unity will not be given to us. Unity will be taken by us. When we saw Hawaii, yeah, they took that too. They saw the hula and they called it paganistic, but they didn't think Russian they was raping the Pacific. And another thing that might be quite scary would be even... You know, there are a number of ways that you can end a people. And so in Hawaii, we have it coming in many different ways, um, economically, Culturally, we're as overwhelmed by American uh, narrative and culture as anybody else. Um, we, you know, the story of us isn't what appears in media. It's their story of us, and we're absent in that representation. Um, our actual experience is one of being removed and erased via these different systems, and I look at it systematically. So uh, the film is about militarism and how that's been used to remove us and erase us effectively and the industries around it and the economy around it and tourism and militarism go together. People think of Hawaii as a tourist, uh, a desirable place to go and uh, take holiday. a vacation, a holiday, right? So it's a tourism kind of narrative that they have. But tourism in Hawaii came with militarism. It's, and that's a very American thing. You send in the military and then comes the settler. And in the Pacific, you know, this is – Hawaii is the military outpost for the United States. Largest military command in the world is located on Oahu. The tourism industry grew up around the military industry. So I personally don't see these things as separate. Other people do, but I don't see any industry in Hawaii as separate from what the impact is on the Native people. It's, it's a, a complex web of intentional uh, erasure of us, and um, and it's 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 one of the things about the film that's so shocking to people is that, like you said, you know most people th think of Hawaii as Hawaii Five O or you know Waikiki or people dancing hula, and we're just this passive group of people that doesn't mind being overrun by everybody else. When in reality, our history is that we've been illegally and militarily occupied by the United States since 1898. And that's the truth about Hawaii. People don't like it, but it's the truth. So we're still dealing with the truth in a world where for over a century, nothing but lies have been disseminated about us and our homeland. So it's a tough little movie because it takes those issues and pulls them all together and it calls it an occupation. Now the history of Hawaii involves the overthrow of the queen. Right, yeah, that was in 1893. Yeah, that was in 1893, the U.S. military-backed overthrow of Queen Liliuokalani's government. She was eventually imprisoned in her own palace and tried by the Haole plantation owners 
who charged her with treason. Um, and that was the beginning of direct U.S. intervention in Hawaiian kingdom affairs. And then it was five years later that the United States began its military occupation that's ongoing to this day. Now, what's significant about the plantation owners, and you can correct me about this, is that this is with sugarcane, but this this is also where um, Dole Pineapple, he was established then, wasn't he? Yeah, Sanford B. Dole was the leader. Uh, they appointed him, or he appointed himself, or they all agreed that he would be the president of what was referred to as a provisional government. But it was all fraudulent. And that's the thing that people need to understand, at least in this century. I can understand why everybody had, you know, developed willful amnesia throughout the 20th century. But the fact is that Sanford B. Dole and all of his cronies, um, they created a fake government referred to as a provisional government. And they attempted unsuccessfully twice to annex the Hawaiian kingdom to the United States. And twice they tried to bring a, a treaty of annexation to vote in the U.S. Congress. And twice the Congress said, we're not going to vote on this because the Hawaiian people spoke. They signed petitions referred to as the Kuei petitions. Almost, I think, 90 percent of the Hawaiians living at that time signed a petition. And I'll, probably all of them would have signed if they'd been able to find them, saying, clearly, we do not want to be part of the United States. Um, but in 1898, the United States went to war with Spain over the Philippines, and the United States empire started to stretch into Cuba, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines. And as far as the Pacific goes, that was the U.S., uh, that was the United States' opportunity to take over Hawaii. But there has never been a treaty of annexation, which is what, why Hawaiians have an independence movement today, because we know it's an illegal occupation of an internationally recognized country. We never agreed to be a part of the United States. There was never a treaty of annexation. There's only been a military occupation. Hey, you know what? From my distance here in Aotearoa, I've heard jokes. There are jokes made, made about how Hawaii is like the... the about, you mean about it being the 50th state? Yeah, being the 50th state. There are jokes about it, eh? Isn't it like, oh, but don't forget Hawaii. I'm not, you know, I think most people actually believe that it's a state because it was the cover-up was actually pretty good. The media is always a partner to that. And, you know, after World War II, there was this thing called the list of territories to be decolonized. Hawaii was actually on that list. Even though Hawaii was an occupied country then, it was on this list. And uh, the United States knew that they had to do something in order to hold on to it. So they conducted what's referred to today as the fraudulent statehood vote in 1959. So, you know, then they took the Hawaiian Kingdom flag, which actually has a Union Jack in it, hearkening back to the 19th century relationship that the Hawaiian Kingdom had with Great Britain, and uh, turned that into the state flag. But I don't, I think most people don't really understand that it really was a fraudulent vote, and the United Nations stood by and didn't do anything about it. And if we just look give that a little bit more context. At that time, I'm guessing there would have been a whole surge of patriotism because of what had happened at Pearl Harbor. Well, that's, you know, you look at the United States, you never want to do something like that to Americans because Americans, they're very nationalistic people. And um, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, you know, they were far more aggressive in the Pacific than they had been up until that point. So Americans tend not to take it well when people kill, you know, when any country goes to war with them, even though the American government actually was 
already kind of at war with Japan by blocking their ability to get oil. You know, they were bullying each other in the Pacific. Unfortunately, Hawaii happens to be in the middle. And um, it's like a, it's been a military outpost since 1898. We don't, you know, Hawaiians don't look at it as Japan bombing Hawaiians. They were bombing military installations on Oahu. And we're still a military target today. They make us a military target every time they uh, rattle their sabers and um, argue with North Korea. When they, when, whenever in the U.S. press, when they talk about how the North Koreans can shoot a missile that'll reach the west coast of the United States, us guys in Hawaii, we know that the North Koreans aren't going to shoot at California. They're going to shoot at Oahu. So we're still a military target because of the U.S. presence there. I mean, that's one layer of it. But at the beginning of your film, you actually uh, show a ceremony, which I identified with as being kind of like a little bit like a tangi. And it was of Native Hawaiians mourning the way in which this whenua that had been subjected to some military testing had basically been destroyed. And what became clear to me through one of the themes in the film is that Native Hawaiians don't like the idea of your land being used to train people, to train an army that then goes off to kill other people in their sovereign states. And in terms of uh, things Māori, I can relate to that because it's like you've become, uh, you're responsible through a connection to causing somebody else's death. That's absolutely correct. And um, it makes us complicit in... And there's a balance that's been put, there's something that's been put out of balance, right? And our, our worlds are governed by always being in balance. Yeah, the word in Hawaiian is pono. And it is at this point aole pono, meaning not in balance. And, you know, it's a tough situation when you're in a, uh, the middle of being occupied and then there's a psychological, I think of it as psychological colonization or colonization of the mind, even though we're under occupation, there's this other uh, experience taking place for the native, which gets discussed in the film uh, in some detail. And yeah, Hawaiians don't like that Makua Valley or any of our other sacred valleys are being used as a place to practice war. You know, people need to understand that before the United States goes to war anywhere, they've already gone to war on our homeland and in our most culturally sensitive places, oftentimes. They've already desecrated what's sacred to us before they go somewhere else and commit these you know, terrible acts of violence and crime, really crimes against humanity, Okay, because these oftentimes, if you look at the Vietnam War, if you, you know, if you look at the occupation of Iraq and what's been taking place in Afghanistan and now the drones, the, the killing of people with, through drone strikes, the U.S. military has been conducting war consistently for, you know, ever since it became a country. What I would hope people will understand is before it goes and does war on another country, it's already doing war on us and our land. And Hawaiians have never agreed. We've never wanted the U.S. military in our homeland. You can find some Hawaiians who are comfortable with it because you can find some Hawaiians who've assimilated nicely into being American, but many, many Hawaiians have never assimilated. So, Kayla, there's a constant resistance within Hawaii. 
Yes, but it's not always visible. And that's one of the important things about the film is that it's very visible. What I've documented is visible Hawaiian resistance that was ongoing for years here in the beginning of this century. And continues to be ongoing. Yes, but it is not nearly as, uh, you know, after, you know, in a post 9-11, we have to look at the world as post 9-11. And um, for some years after that, for about four or five, six years, there was a lot of resistance to the military expansion. However, um, particularly under President Obama's administration, the expansion of the military into the Pacific, the swallowing whole of Guam, the the way that uh, the U.S. empire is expanding through its military in Africa, in Australia, um, the upcoming training of RIMPAC that's done in Hawaii and to Hawaii, uh, I think activists have been overwhelmed in Hawaii these past few years. So there, there isn't as much on the street resistance taking place right now, but there's always Hawaiian resistance. There are always pockets of Hawaiians standing up and saying, we don't, we're not part of the United States and we want the United States yes, to. Yes, and your film actually portrays that quite clearly. Mm. There are different groups of people talking about um, the, res the different things they're doing to resist the ongoing the onslaught of colonization. Yes. So, I mean, colonization isn't something that happened in the past. It's an ongoing process. It's generational and and there's a generational trauma associated with the colonization throughout the Pacific. In Hawaii, it's it, it's exhibited in certain ways. It's different, a little bit different in every country. For us, it manifests in the highest rates of suicide, highest rates of our incarceration, disproportionate numbers of everything everybody doesn't want to have, like diabetes, certain forms of cancer. The list goes on and on and on of what Hawaiians have endured through generations of a very colonial form of violence. That's not, it's not, and one of the people in the film actually addresses this, it's not like the same kind of colonial violence that the British visited upon a number of different places. U.S. colonial violence is different. For us, it's hand-in-hand hand with a military occupation, which is illegal, and it's also psychologically undermining of, you know, who we think we are as a people. I mean, you and I were talking earlier about uh, identity theft. I mean, the theft of our land isn't that different than the theft of our identity. And, and you know, I can't count how many fake Hawaiians uh, I've personally encountered. Um, but that's, a, that's just part of it, the colonial kind of violence that I'm talking about. Is it fake Hawaiians or is it just not very conscious Hawaiians? No, I'm talking about people who are not of Hawaiian ancestry claiming to be Hawaiian or dancing hula and acting like that makes them Hawaiian or pounding kalo and thinking that makes them Hawaiian or even more strange than that is they think of themselves as cultural practitioners because they can bust a hula or pound some kalo or speak olelo Hawaii. It's the, the, the performance of a, of a very tourism kind of uh, uh, idea of what it is to be Hawaiian. So when I'm talking about fake Hawaiians, I'm talk and, I, and I refer to them as people who are psychologically undermining of actual Hawaiians, and I refer to that as a, 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 a colonial agenda, really, because first there's the taking of the land and our, our ability to govern ourselves and be self-determining. And now in the 21st century, they also are taking our actual identity. So Hawaiian, being Hawaiian, in the minds of those people, is just a state of mind. 
It isn't an actual human condition. And so we're dehumanized by multiple things, not just the material force of militarism and tourism and economic oppression um, and theft, but also of this other force where non-Hawaiians who live there or even don't live there think they're as Hawaiian as any Hawaiian person is because they can dance hula. There's 600,000 people in Tokyo who dance hula. I still don't understand why that ever became that way. There's not even 600,000 Hawaiians. So the appropriation of our land is also reflected in the appropriation of our culture and the appropriation of our identity. And I think that's all very undermining of Hawaiian well-being. And I'm guessing for some people, I mean, you showed in the film a couple of responses that Haole has had to um, the desecration of of, um, bones when it came to the establishment of a Walmart. For an outsider looking in, would they then see, oh, well, they're fake Hawaiians. You know, they actually start seeing fake Hawaiians, so they start thinking everybody is. And so there's that struggle as well. You're struggling against being seen in a certain way if you're not like that. Absolutely. I mean, the fake Hawaiian actually is a lot more appealing than the actual Hawaiian because here in front of you is an actual Hawaiian who says what I'm saying and makes a film like Noho Heva and says, you know, here's the ugly truth of it. The fake Hawaiian won't do that. The fake Hawaiian will only address the things that are convenient for the fake Hawaiian. Uh, it's, you know, I often encounter... Um, People who move to Hawaii and they have what is what they describe as a spiritual kind of experience. And they will say directly to me, you know, when I arrived, I really felt the ancestors talking to me. I feel them. And I have to say, well, are they speaking in English to you or are they speaking in Hawaiian? And what is it that my ancestors are saying to you? See, that's absurd. My ancestors, if they have anything to say, I don't think they're going to speak or, or, or even worse, adopt posthumously a bunch of wannabe Hawaiians. So it's a really complex kind of situation because, you know, culturally, somebody like me sounds, and, and I'm often told, you know, you're un-Hawaiian just by saying these things. So to actually speak on behalf of Hawaiians and say to a non-Hawaiian, please stop appropriating my culture or my identity and certainly stop appropriating our land Oftentimes I will be told that's a very un-Hawaiian thing to do. So the absurdity, I can call it absurd, but for other Hawaiians I think it actually causes mental distress and emotional distress and spiritual distress. You know, there's nothing more undermining to a Hawaiian or the, us as a people than to desecrate our, our ivy, the burials of our ancestors and our sacred sites. So multiple levels that are never addressed in media or in history for that matter, are incredibly undermining to us as a people. And then what it does is that it silences. Yeah, because we don't know how, how do you respond to something like that. I mean, that? there's a particularly telling scene in the film where a Hawaiian man gets up and passionately engages with an archaeologist that desecrated some bones. And then he is basically silenced by the inaction of this panel that he's talking to. And you, the camera then flicks over to a woman sitting on the panel and she's crying. And you can see his frustration, but at his, he's so offended by what's taken place, right, that he's silenced by it. And that's when, you know, that's really moving. 
Yeah, well, that's... And it's reality. That's our reality. And it's not something that's, it's not pretty to look at, you know, and it's not, it's not easy to film it. And it's not easy to be a part of it. And I always have to say, I admire the Hawaiians who will stand up for our, our burials and our sacred sites. That is a very tough thing to do because the system is designed to remove us from our our actual burials. It's like Kalekoa Kaeo says in the film, you can get evicted as a Hawaiian even, even when, when you're, you're under the ground. <laughs> so you in this film, you have Hawaiians being evicted because they're poor, and then you have Hawaiians being evicted because they're dead. Uh, just being Hawaiian in Hawaii, unless you're assimilating into the American system and the middle class you know, drive that everybody seems to have in America... Uh, you're you're a target. But there's actually something slightly um, comical about that because a number of people in the film talk about how Hawaiians are being evicted from their properties so they can build up new housing, housing, put up new housing, but then the housing is a million dollars. Millions often, yeah. And so you're lucky that they even get one of those houses for a million dollars. And these aren't even mansions. These are just, yeah. from what I could see, they just look like cardboard cutout yeah. houses that you can see in any suburb, for instance, up in Manilewa or anywhere in these certain suburbs in New Zealand. Uh, and so they're being priced out of their public kainga. Yes. I, I mean, most Hawaiians uh, work two jobs just to rent. So one of the things that happened after September 11th was that the military um, started stationing thousands of more personnel in Hawaii but didn't have the housing infrastructure. So they gave personnel who were willing to live off base like $1,300 a month to go and live wherever they wanted. So apartments that cost six or seven hundred dollars a month before that suddenly cost twice as much because the United States government was paying for these soldiers to go and live off base. But effectively, over the course of two or three years, that made thousands of Hawaiians homeless. I mean, just even at seven hundred dollars a month, it's a it's a, a very competitive housing market to double that is lunacy. Oahu is a tiny place. It's only 640 square miles. There are very few places, you know, where one can live in such a small place. And so Hawaiians are the first ones to be pushed out. And that's when something else you portrayed in the film that I wasn't aware of. You have them living on beaches. Well, where else are they going to go? Hawaiians are living in the cars. They're living in parks. They're living in the beaches. Which they are then evicted from. Yes, and then they're evicted from those places. So we're expected to disappear or assimilate. How can you assimilate back into the society if you can't even afford to do that? You're just supposed to work yourself to death. It's all about disappearing. It's about Hawaiians being made to disappear, either literally or just through assimilation. So it's about, and, and the thing is, by forcing a people to assimilate, what you're effectively doing is making sure that they do not resist you. So the only hope for Hawaiians, really, is to resist any form of assimilation because assimilation is our demise. Kayla, I'm going to make a huge assumption here, but that there's a degree of uh, solidarity between us as Polynesian peoples. What would you 
what would be the message that you would like to give to Polynesians who live in Hawaii now? I know a whole lot of Māori that work there as part of PIC, live and work there and have lived there for a number of generations. What would be your message to them? That's an excellent question because I've never seen other Pacific Islanders really come out for Hawaiians, you know, as in an organized way. I've seen them as individuals sometimes show up to events. But Pacific Islanders living in Hawaii, if they don't want to be lumped in with the other settlers who have taken over Hawaii, I would encourage them to organize either collectively as Pacific Islanders or individually as, individually as Maori or Samoan or whatever, and create solidarity that they publicly uh, speak out with. You know, I would love to see Pacific Islanders in Hawaii stand with Hawaiians in solidarity. As allies. As allies, as we feel, you know, we feel close to Maori people. We have incredible, all of us, we have a, such regard for our cousins here. I'm honored to be in your country, um, partly because I feel like I'm around my cousins. And, you know, and I mean in this kind of like ancestral way, which is deep, you know, that's really deep stuff because that goes back thousands of years. So we have aloha for um, our Polynesian cousins. And it, I think in Hawaii, there are so many Pacific Islanders, and it would be great if they really did organize and speak you know, to their own communities and speak out about the occupation and in solidarity with Hawaiians. Now, for people wanting to get a copy of the DVD, how can they make contact with you? They can go to noholheva.com, that's N-O-H-O-H-E-W-A.com, and they can send me an email or they can go on there. There's a PayPal thing. They can buy it, you know, online at the website. Um, I also hope to be able to come back to this country at some point and do some more screenings. It's been a, a great couple of weeks. And we'll keep an eye out for you. Mahalo nui. <laughs> Kia ora. And Kayla Kelly.